there and welcome to a wee blether about podcast from the academic skills team at UWS. My name is Linda Riches and I'm one of the academic skills advisors at the university. So today we're going to have a little blether about academic language and, and that can be tricky for all students but especially for those students for whom English is not their first language and the suggestion for this podcast actually came from one of our podcast listeners who was asking um, about that sort of difference between formal and informal language and saying that sometimes she finds that quite confusing. So today I'm joined by my academic skill advisor colleagues Ben Farrar. Hi Ben. Hi. And John Watson. Hi John. Hello. And hopefully they're going to help us unravel this a little bit. Um, so I guess we'll start off by thinking about maybe trying to explain a little bit what we're talking about, formal and informal language and what the difference is. And I think, um, John, you maybe wanted to make a point about some of the terminology that we're going to use in this podcast. Yes, I, I mean, I'm not sure whether it's best to think of it as informal or informal. We want to try and get academic language mm. in, in our writing here. So it, it's really maybe a better expression rather than the formal language is, is neutral language. So you know, it doesn't have to be overly formal. Yeah. It's like most things. It's, like, it's getting the balance right. You know, you don't want to have you know, slang words in your, uh, in your writing, but trying to get some kind of degree of formality, but not being overly formal in yeah. your writing. Yeah. And, and that, can be, that can be quite tricky for international students especially can't it that's you know quite difficult to sort of decipher and I suppose it comes back to it makes me sort of think about you know how you learn English in the first place and then you sort of sort of try and track back and you think oh actually it's quite difficult then to come from learning a language to then thinking about that academic writing is that well, is that something yeah, you would say that's a, well as a native speaker you don't tend to think about you that. don't think you don't think you but it's it's the setting that's really important. So something that makes sense when you're speaking mm -hmm. doesn't looks out of place, for example, when you're writing an academic essay. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Ben, in terms of, you know, that sort of idea of maybe neutral language and, you know, versus informal language? Well, not to shamelessly plug, but we do have our episodes on kind of academic writing and, and academic, um, you know, style. And, and in that, we were talking about the fact that, um, you know, like John says, it's a very neutral kind of language. It's, it's it's a scientific style of writing, essentially. It's it's aiming for that kind of scientific precision where um, what we're saying is clear, it's unbiased, it's put in terms... I mean, I think sometimes also... Um, academic writing can get confused with really complex writing and it's not inherently complex you don't need a lot of long words and a lot of really complex phrases to to be academic um, ideally we want um, the the sort of clarity of, of the language to match whatever we're talking about and that kind of thing um, but it's also about being sort of realistic about the topic and, and what we know about the topic um, you know so if there are things that we don't know we acknowledge that and if there are things that we we do know we we um, we kind of state it in shall we say careful terms rather than yeah. saying you know this is how you know this is true you know we we say you know evidence suggests that this is true or you know this appears to be true or, or that kind of thing so I think you know just sort of to focus it a little bit more on the neutrality thing it is that um, idea that we as the writer um, are not necessarily taking a side in and of ourselves we're taking a side based off of what we're reading and it's also worth in, in in that kind of language to think about the reader as well 
Um, a lot of the things that you will encounter every day, you know, if if you are, um, you know, no matter what your first language is, if, if you're reading in a specific language, a lot of the things that you will read will have different motivations. So, you know, if you read a pamphlet, it might be trying to convince you of something. If you read a newspaper, it might be trying to inform you of something. Mm. Um, academic writing similarly has a, a, a sort of purpose. And that is really to, to get across that information and to present a critical argument. But it's not it's not arguing it in the same way as say, you know, if you read, if, if you hear a political speech or something like that, it's not trying to convince you in that way. Mm. It's trying to um, sort of allow you to follow on its, its kind of um, its argument and its logic. And we'll talk a little bit about structuring later, but I think yeah. it's worth keeping in mind when you, when you're thinking about this kind of thing, um, especially if you're not hundred percent confident with the language, thinking about what your purpose is as a writer and the person you're writing it for in that way. Mm. Yeah. And are there any tools, John, that can help students with that, that can sort of help you work out what, you know, words are, you know, the words you should be using? Yeah, my background has been teaching international students a lot. We use something called the academic word list to give students an indication of the the vocabulary that they perhaps should be learning for um, writing in English. but this could also be useful for um, native speakers of English as well. Um, what it is, it's a, it was developed by um, a professor at a university in New Zealand called Avril Coxhead. And it was designed for her um, students who were learning English. And what she did was she used a, a large sample of academic texts. So things like journals, textbooks, dissertations. She ran it, ran them all through kind of statistical analysis to find out what the most common words were. Um, but this is the clever part. She took out the 2000 most common words in general English. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine what some of them are like words like the, in, yeah. Or, yeah. or like prepositions, grammatical words, people. And that left her with 570 words that are apparently representative of academic English. Mm. So if you if you look at the list, you'll see whether you're a native or non-native speaker of English, you'll know most of them, if not all of the words. But I think the question is, do you use those in your own writing? Um, so it's a good kind of way of just seeing what we kind of mean by academic English. Um, it just yeah. gives you an idea of the kind of the tone of, of what words are appropriate. And can you give us an example of a couple of words that, you know, that are on the list that, that um, just so that people can get an idea of what words are on that list? Yeah. So I mean, I mean I've just opened it up now um, from, the, I mean, you can easily find this on, on the internet just by typing in academic word list into a, into a search engine. Okay. Um, but you'll see, you know, I mean, you'll see words like appropriate, for example, mm-hmm. or um, I mean, a good one is significant. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is, you know, there's a certain words that I think you need to try and avoid when writing essays that are just too informal. So for example, a big effect Yes. The word big is, I think, just very, uh, I mean, it's not wrong in that case, but it's just too, it's just too simple. It's wrong mm. in terms of the tone. And if you could say something like a significant effect, that automatically makes your 
work sound more formal or more academic. Yeah, yeah it does. It does and does it t- does it give you the meaning of these words in the in the word bank? Um, I think there is. Uh, I, I mean, most native speakers are going to know what these words. What they are, mean. yeah. Um, I think there are links to dictionary. Um, yes, there is. I'm just checking yeah, that. I think I'm, there are I'm links to. Trying to remember, I think you can click on them, can't you? Yeah. 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 So that sounds like yeah, that sounds like quite a, a useful tool, which I must admit I wasn't aware of. I didn't know about that until you mentioned it, John. But it's, it sounds quite useful sounds quite yeah and and there are tools on the internet to be able to put your work into a kind of checker to see how many of those words you've used yeah um just be aware that i think ideally you probably want to get between about seven and ten percent uh if your work is representative if it it is good academic writing then it probably should be between about seven and ten percent of those words should be used that doesn't sound like very much but bear in mind that a lot of your words are going to be those short grammatical words like yeah. in, the, of, and, um, you know, your references and terminology. But yeah. if, you, if you put it through a kind of checker and you get something between 7 and 10%, then you're probably doing the right kind of thing. All right. That's, yeah, that's quite interesting. So it can give you that, that sort of idea of yeah. how academic your work is. Yeah. Anything else, Ben, in terms of uh, we we have talked about Manchester Phrase Bank before. Um, do you think that's a useful tool in terms of academic writing of people who are just maybe not too sure about formal and informal? I think definitely mutual writing. Definitely, yeah. We love plugging the Manchester Phrase we Bank, do. We um, do. <laughs> but it, it is very useful. I think the Manchester Phrase Bank as well has those. It's kind of the connective tissue um when you're writing and that kind of thing you know like, like john was saying you know those kinds of academic words they don't make up an awful lot of the actual bulk of what you'll be writing about yeah. but they can make all the difference and it's kind of the same with with the stuff that you'll find in the manchester phrase back where um often you will use them to make connections and link things up and um show the sort of relationship between the things that you're that you're writing about i mean i think one thing that's worth mentioning um is that the writing process is not in and of itself the thinking process mm. behind the the essay um, or the assignment or whatever it is that you're doing. And it is difficult for any writer, but you know, the, the, the best writer in the world to simultaneously think of what it is that they're going to write and think of the argument that they're going to make and at the same time conjure it out of thin air with these weird, you know, words on a page. It's nigh on impossible if you're not 100% confident with that language. So if you're working in a language that isn't your first language, um, it can be very, very daunting thinking that you you have to kind of um, dive into these ideas while at the same time writing them down and explaining what you mean and all this kind of thing. Often, the best thing you can do and this is true across the board, is if you're struggling to write down a lot of the stuff, it's it's sometimes an indicator that the ideas aren't necessarily clear in your head, that you're not 100% sure of, of the argument that you're making or you're not 100% sure of what it is that you want to write. Um, and sometimes it can seem like the idea is really clear in your head, but then when you go to write it down on paper, it's really difficult and, and it, it's difficult um, to sort of um, articulate. So I would say... Think of them as a a kind of two-pronged process. You need to be sort of relatively certain of what it is that you want to say, 
before you try to say it. And that's why, you know, these kinds of tools, this is when they come into their element. Um, mm. No one is, is suggesting that you need to read a list of 500 academic words, memorize them all and use them all as often as you humanly can. Yeah. Um, but what we will say is that if you have an idea in your head of like, okay, I want to talk about this thing, I want to say that it had a, a big effect, let's say, on something, and I want to connect it to this other idea, then these kinds of things come in, because then you can use the word significant rather than big. You can, you know, use this had, a, you know, a positive effect on or had a, a, a negative impact on or something like that, you know, and you can use phrases like, you know, nevertheless or however, or, you know, these kind of conjunctive adverb things that you can, um, and, and that can link it all together. But the, the kind of initial process is figuring out that thought, and working out yeah. what it is that you want to say. So if you are struggling with that side of things and, and the compositional side of things, make sure that you're not getting it too muddled with the thinking side of things. Things will always happen naturally as you're writing and you'll come up with new ideas as you go along. But just sometimes it's worth going back to the reading and the thinking phase if you're finding the writing phase to be just a brick wall that you can't get over. Yeah. Yeah, I see you nodding there, John, sort of agreeing with that. Is is that something that you find with um with students that it's really the, take that step back and think about the ideas first? Yeah, I think you need to you need to err on the side of simplicity, really. Mm. And when you're when you're writing, so don't try and do too much too soon. You know, as you're reading, you will see examples of academic texts like journals, but. It can be very. If you're a first year student, it can be very difficult to try to emulate that style of writing straight oh, away. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe as a PhD student, you might be able to do that. Yeah. But you know, as as Ben said, keep it simple, um, and that and that will help get your ideas across. You can always kind of shift the vocabulary up in terms of formality a bit later on. Yeah. But keep yeah. it. The and, most important thing is keep it keep it simple. Yeah, and we and we always say that that you can talk about subjects using clear and simple language. You don't need to use, you know, long phrases. You don't need to use complicated words. And I suppose that's what we're trying to say is you know, and you can use those tools like the word bank and the and the phrase bank to just help you with that. I remember one of my old lecturers, he always used to say, you know, it's e anybody can make something simple sound difficult. It's the, <laughs> yeah. the trick is to taking something difficult and making it not necessarily simple, but understandable. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good that's a good point to end on, I think. Um, oh, can so, I just say something yeah, else? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, John, sorry. I, um, I think, though, it is a good idea to have kind of access to formal linking words. By formal here, I mean more neutral linking words. So, Avoiding kind of words like and and so and but at the start of a sentence. Oh, yeah. There's definitely. always another way to do that. So having, you know, for example, um, the word so, don't start your sentences with so, but mm. you know words like therefore and as a result or consequently. So having access to a range of those, I think, is is, is a good way to get more um, more academic vocabulary into your into your work. Yeah, yeah, good point, and quite an easy way of doing that with just thinking about those words at the start of sentences. Yeah, 
Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Thank you both. Um, hopefully we've helped a little bit, just giving you some ideas and a couple of tools there that will sort of help with that. Um, some of those tricky ideas around academic language. As always, um, we always welcome any comments and any feedback on the podcast. And if there's a topic that you want to hear us have a little blether about, then please drop a line to skills at uws.ac.uk. Thanks, John, for your um, advice. And thanks, Ben. And um, thanks for listening. <laughs>